everybody. Welcome to the green room. We're talking about crypto, Bitcoin, 10,000. Usually we're talking in the other direction. And of course, is Elon Musk buying Twitter or is he not? Anyways, so hey, welcome to the show. Uh, we're in the green room of Disrupt TV and uh, we're going to do some quick introductions in reverse order. Jamie, where are you calling them from? What are we talking about today? Hey, I'm Jamie Merritt. I'm a Chief Product Officer at Verant, and we're going to talk about AI, automation, and how it applies to customer engagement. Looking forward to being here. Thank you. Excellent. A never-ending topic of ambient experiences. Alex, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about? Alex Offner, co-founder, executive director of Guardian Revival, a nonprofit that supports veterans. Today, we're going to talk about mentorship, teamwork, high-performance teams, aligned lines, and the race across America. Oh, the Ram. Ram is back. Rhonda, where are we calling in from? What are we talking about today? Hi, Ray and team. Calling in from Greenwich, Connecticut, C-Suite author. We are talking today about high-performance mentorship, what it takes to do Race Across America, and where the money is going, and mental awareness to help mental health awareness month to help prevent veteran and first responder suicide, Ray. Oh my God, it's one of the top issues given what's been going on with the pandemic. I can't look, I can't wait to get this show going. All right, back to you, L. Let's take it on. All right, three, two, one. Welcome, thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter using uh, our Twitter handle Disrupt TV show and send us your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. And Ray and I and our distinguished guests will try to answer you in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host Ray Wong. He's the founder CEO of Constellation Research He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Ray's a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futures to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Aftra, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. But when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet and hobnobbing with some of the most successful CEOs around the world. So, But hey, it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests today. We've got a team team here ready to roll. Who do we have to kick it off, Paula? Ray, we've interviewed about 900 guests 
during our six-year podcast history. And I think for the first time, we have three guests that can beat you and I on any physical activity whatsoever. <laughs> so let me just introduce our three extraordinary guests. We have Rana Viteri, global uh, CSU uh, executive, author, technology industry expert, and keynote speaker. A change agent for digital transformation, Rana has led the way of growth with more than 23 company mergers and acquisitions. She's worked in global executive positions at Estee Lauder Company, AIG, HP, Barclays, Bank One, JP Morgan Chase, and more. As an industry expert and influencer, Rhonda has been a keynote speaker and panelist at numerous global conferences, including the World Economic Forum at Davos. She's the author of the book, Grit and Grind, 10 Principles for Living an Extraordinary Life. And talk about grit and grind. She recently ran a 55-mile race in the Serengeti as part of a girls and women's empowerment fundraiser. You can follow Rhonda on Twitter at Rhonda Viteri H, R-H-O-N-D-A-V-E-T-E-R-E-H. Welcome back, Rhonda, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Val. Thank you, Ray, for having us. It's our pleasure. And our next two guests, and hopefully Monty will join us, <laughs> uh, we're delighted to have Alex Othmer, founder and executive director of Guardian Revival. Guardian Revival is a nonprofit profit organization chartered to provide opportunities, resources, and support at no cost to our active and veteran guardians so that they can revive, protect, and preserve their mental health and well-being. Alex is a commissioned officer in the US Navy and has served as a SEAL, Navy SEAL, for eight years. Welcome, Alex, to the Shrub TV. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. And lastly, I'm going to introduce Monty because I've got my fingers crossed he can join us. Monty is president of the full Monty. Monty is a former US Navy SEAL with 11 years of military service multiple deployments to Afghanistan. His last mission in Bosnia completed his SEAL team career. For the past five years, Monty has passionately supported the veteran community through nonprofit organizations as vet to ceo and Higher Ground. He runs his own consulting business and hosts two podcasts, vet to ceo and One Mile. Rhonda, Monty, and Alex have brought together an incredible team to cycle across America in support of a cause that is deeply personal and meaningful to them, stopping veteran suicides. Uh, welcome, Monty, as, at some point <laughs> in the next 20 minutes. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Vala. Thank Our you. pleasure. Hey, we're real excited to have you here, first of all. I mean, Alex, Monty, when you get on here, thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, when we think about high-performance teams, um, I think about Rhonda, and I also think about the SEALs, and this is an amazing uh, collaboration that you guys have here. Um, let's talk about mentorship, getting high-performance teams to focus on a mission. It's not easy to do, whether it's work, whether it's a cause, you know, whether it's actually a mission that you guys are doing. Um, it requires a different mindset. And let's start there. Rhonda, what is that mindset? How do you get there? Yeah, right. It's, it is a different mindset. And I think that's why it just it clicks. It's very focused, mission, goal-driven, and tenacity and resilience. And I think, you know, in the workplace, we have that. When you have clear goals and you know where you're going, um, the mindset is just there and team. It's all about team, Ray. I cannot stress that enough. It's not about the individuality. It's about what are what are the results? How do you get there? And the teamwork that's so important, the mentality is there. Um, and it's very, very important. Um, and we're actually together, uh, which we'll talk about on this run and um, in this bike race and this run for life, what I call. And the mentality is different. And it takes a lot to get there, right? If some folks always ask, hey, do you are you born with it? How do you get it? <laughs> but you develop it over time and it's it's that fire in your belly too, Ray. 
Yeah, no, we agree that. And I mean, when you think about that, Alex, I'm going to ask you really about, you know, what does that mean, right? How to get yourself, your mind into the right place when you're focused in on a mission? What's required to do that? So a lot of preparation and practice, right? So everything you see on TV uh, about a high performance team like a Navy SEAL team, a lot of it's Hollywood, right? At the end of the day, there's a lot of back end work that happens preceding that mission. You know, we go out the door with such great confidence and ability to succeed only because we spend countless hours behind the scenes practicing and trialing so that we don't make errors on a mission. And, and, yeah. and you, can, you, you can teach grit and persistence through discipline and practice? Do you see that happening in business uh, with the same level of rigor and urgency as the SEALs? Absolutely. Yes, don't you, Alex? I mean, that's that's why I think Vala and Ray, this audience is so important to see Alex and uh, us together here on this call. The mindsets line up and, and really, you have the civilian world and you have the veteran community and first responders. The mindset lines up and, and our story is very awesome how we actually met in the Hudson River swimming for a cause. Um, that's how Alex and I met sighting off of each other in the Hudson River freezing. Let's let's be clear. The mindset to get across the Hudson River um, in freezing weather with no wetsuits, right? <laughs> One, I don't know what's in the Hudson River. It's <laughs> pretty impressive. Meeting in cold, dark water, you know, I'm sure, uh, well, I, I'm 100% I'm, I'm sure Alex is used to that, but it's amazing that that happens. So, so let's talk about t today in, in the climate that we're in. In the last two years, obviously, we faced a, a, a health crisis. Yes. Uh, millions lost their lives. Uh, all of us have known family, friends, colleagues that unfortunately uh, were unable to make it through the last two years. It led to an economic crisis, uh, which, I, which certainly is still going on. We can absolutely feel the ripple effect. A climate crisis, fires, storms, floods all through the U.S. and around the globe. Misinformation crisis uh, at the highest levels of leadership and racial inequality crisis. So you've got five crises concurrently, which has led to a trust deficit. Alex, how do you build a team trust and empathy and caring for each other when for the last two years, all of us have struggled with all of these crises? Great question. And, and, and the first thing I'm going to say is that uh, if you are actually a high-performing team and you have developed uh, a sense of trust and transparency across your team, then that in turn creates a safe space and mm. that allows us to have these you know natural micro cathartic experiences with one another while we're at work or maybe while we're just talking on the phone after work so that's again talking about teamwork and thinking about trust and transparency are two key things um and we can always draw back to that and use that as a grounding point as an anchor when things get really rough externally we come back to our team and we can you know debrief whether it's practical you know for a purpose or it's just a talk and exchange ideas and values Amazing yeah, you know, lead into a team and a community. Go ahead, Ray. No, but hey, I think I think we would be remiss in asking, hey, not asking, what is this race across America, and what kind of teamwork is required to do that? I mean, I, I've seen some of the you know the videos, some of the background calls you guys were on. I, I saw it earlier. I was like, oh my god, this is totally out of my league. I kind of dropped out. <laughs> I said, as soon as you heard it's over three thousand miles, you you tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I was like, can I fly? Right. You wanted your leadership, Ray. You are needed, Ray. <laughs> so, so, but, but tell us about the race, you know, and, and what it is and, and the, what's what's required, right? I mean, I know you run a lot of triathlons, right? Alex, you look like you're in better shape than I'll ever be in my life. <laughs> you know, but but there's, there's something to it, right? But tell us, explain the race, the mechanism of the race, and then how you choose a cause and then uh, how people can help out as well. So let's talk about that. Sure. So Rhonda? Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Um, the Race Across America, RAM. R-A-A-M, if you Google it, it is a race. Um, we're racing across America on bikes, one at a time. It's a team of eight, 3,070 miles. Wow. We've created a team, Alex, myself, and Monty. It's called Aligned Alliance, but we are starting in Oceanside, California. We are biking one cyclist at a time. We don't know when we'll end. Everyone always says, when will you cross Annapolis, Maryland? Talk about anything coming at you, like in a work environment. What's your business continuity? What's your strategy? What's your hydration? You have to think very methodical, right, and prep yourself. Why are we doing this? What's our why? We've teamed up. Alex, the funds go to Guardian Revival. And why? Why are we doing this? We are on a mission, literally, Ray and Vala. Alex, myself, and Monty, we are on a mission to show the world, the civilian, the veteran first responders come together called Aligned Alliance, literally. If you look at it, it's called, you might see A2 as well. And the money goes to Guardian Revival. And folks might say, why Why Guardian? They could see Alex now. All of his programs, Ray, help prevent veteran and first responder suicide. It's unacceptable. 18 to 20 people, uh, veterans kill themselves a day. I mean, this cause is huge. And the stats, when Alex was actually going over it, and he has started Guardian in 2019, what he has done, I'll let him talk about his programs, I believe in. And I like, you mentioned mentality, how we met um, as well, and how Monty, uh, I met Monty and mentoring him as uh, Monty. It's just, it was the perfect um, mentality and not storm because it's a, it's a force, Ray, and we have a huge team. There's eight riders, there's 17 support crew, all walks of life, and you talk about diversity. We went out and we, we who wants to help us? Who, who has a heart? We created a high performance team intentionally. Um, not that everyone's type A, don't get me wrong uh, on this, but we've actually built it just like you would build in a corporate world, right? And all the money goes towards um, a great cause that I believe in and Alex, I believe in him. And I, I just want the world to see, you know, Alex here and thank you, Ray. And, and this is hard. I'm a rider. I'm actually one of the riders, right? Um, so we're not just talking about it. Alex, the back end strategy, the con op as he calls it, all the strategy books, Vala, that we would talk about in the boardroom. We have hundreds of pages of playbooks wow. of, of our contingency plans, risk mitigation. This is a board discussion about mental health and the hows and the whys and the results. Give me an example of a continuity goal. plan, of a continuity plan that might happen. Like what if, and you're on the bike and something occurs. Yes, and our goal is to raise a million dollars. Wow, that's amazing. So eight, eight riders uh, on average about 400 miles to get to 3000 plus miles. Alex, how are you leveraging, you know, um, companies when they put a strategy together and contingency plans, for example, in a, a rider being injured, 
or, or repairing a, a, a bicycle along the way. Uh, how are you leveraging technology to maintain continuity and keep the team connected, motivated, and inspired to finish this incredible journey? Ronnie, you want to take that one? You're sure. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Alex, um, I want to be clear for the world, everyone watching this. When we're riding, Alex, he, we're going to be working on technology. So we're working with communications in our heads, uh, headsets as well. Mm -hmm. We're looking to switch out one of our products for headsets. Um, Senna, we're going to be live streaming this, Ray and Vala. Um, we're going to be having it on YouTube. We will be having it uh, live streamed on a channel. We're working with technology vendors to do that. We're also working with, I mean, Garmin and Whoop, let's be specific. Um, our sleep habits um, off of Whoop, our Garmin's on our bike are very intentional as well, Vala. But from a technology perspective, we had someone approach us, Vala and Ray, about a glucose study. We have folks coming out of the woodwork with technology that want to look at our nutrition that are innovative thinking. That was yesterday, Ray and Vala. And I want to plant the seed with this audience. If someone has a technology you want us to try on this race, we've been approached left and right. Um, and we're not just going to Facebook Live this. That's why I wanted, you know, I'm so happy Ray, uh, he did see our, vet, our calls at first and he could see the team. But um, it's 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 a big deal, right? Right? It's 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 a big deal, and we want it to um, promote technology. We want to, and we will. That's amazing. That's it. When does the race start? June eighteenth. June eighteenth, and 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 uh, you don't have an estimate in terms of uh, the finish line. It's 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 you go and and, and at, at at a at an aggressive pace or a leisure pace, depending on how the team feels at the moment. Well, I would love to be done by June 26, right, Alex, I, or sooner? Yeah, that's and three raise, style. That's, and, okay. and you raise a million dollars. Alex, tell us, what, what are your goals and aspirations in terms of how you're going to best leverage, um, you know, what you raise, the capital you raise in terms of uh, helping a wonderful veteran community? Yeah, so as quickly tapping back to what Rhonda said earlier, Align Alliance is the first time I've ever seen uh, at this scale and magnitude, the civilian world coming together with veterans and first responders to make a collective impact on the first responder veteran mental health, you know, space right now. As Ron alluded to before, it is a huge problem, right? She said between 18 and 20 veterans die by suicide every day. Uh, veterans between the ages of 18 and 34 are three times more likely to die than their non-veteran counterparts, and more first responders die by suicide than in the line of duty every year. So if that doesn't resonate well with people, I don't know what else to say, but uh, we have uh, a duty and obligation as civilians, as, as veterans as well, I've been there and, and dealt with my own mental health issues to address this problem. You know, the VA is doing everything they possibly can, um, but they are a bureaucracy and they are a government organization right now. Um, so they are the largest healthcare system in the United States. However, they have yet to crack the code on addressing this mental health epidemic. So fast forward to Aligned Alliance banding together from civilians, first responders, vets from all walks of life coming together to do this race, raising a million dollars. That million dollars is going to get funneled directly into our programs. We are 501c3, and our focus is to provide these services to our first responders and veterans. We have a dog program. We provide both service and companion dogs to veterans and first responders at no cost. We have an outdoor recreation program where we're hiking and doing other structured outdoor activities in Hudson Valley region of New York as a means of therapy. 
We have an equine program right now that we just set up earlier this year. And we also have a music therapy program where we're uh, playing music across the country, sending veterans out on retreats and also getting their music produced in a public setting and getting it out on Spotify and other platforms. So all that money that Aligned Alliance is raising is going to fuel those programs. And we have great aspirations to affect uh, thousands and if not tens of thousands of veterans over the course of the next two years while using that money. And, and Vala, it's so it's so what Alex has done is just so, I mean, it's just, I want the world to know it and thank you for having us, but we're not going to stop. This, this, this is a huge issue. And this is just one event that we're going to do. We have, we have multiple things that we're going to be doing to continue this because as we all know, mental health is a problem, even in the civilian world. And we need to have those conversations. So if anyone even just walks away, Ray and Vala, knowing that we're acknowledging it, knowing that executive leaders in the civilians and veteran community have come forward to actually do something about it and not talk about it and suffer on this bike. We could get in accidents. There's a lot of things that can happen here. Talk about contingency planning that we are, we've been heads down focused on us. We're not going to stop. We're going to continue it. And you can sense our passion, Alex and myself, and, and, and I wish maybe Monty will join, but I just, I, I just want everyone to walk away and say, how can we help? How can we put technology in Ray and Vala, NFTs, where can NFTs? We go? <laughs> where, can they, where can they go? Where can folks go to help you out, uh, Rhonda, Alex? So um, what, what site should they go to real quick? AlignedAlliance.org. Okay. AlignedAlliance.org. AlignedAlliance.org. Okay, cool. Hey, Rhonda, Alex, Monty, and Spirit, thank you so much for being here, and uh, good luck. We're looking forward to seeing that. I think uh, one of our colleagues will be out there in Oceanside to watch it kick off. So take care. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank Happy you, Friday. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you. What an important cause. What an uh, incredible effort. Um, uh, really remarkable. And, and uh, uh, we will definitely do our best to support the program. Our next guest, uh, Jamie Merritt, is the Chief Product Officer at Verant. Verant helps the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, and experiences across the enterprise. Jamie has spent the last 25 years combining his lifelong infatuation, I love that word, for technology with his passion for delivering customer value. Jamie has held a mix of technology and business-focused roles and currently serves as Chief Product Officer. Jamie leads product management for all of Verant's market-leading solutions. Jamie's focus on delivering applications as open modular cloud services to help businesses benefit from functionality that can be deployed in the cloud anywhere in the world. You can follow Jamie on Twitter. He must have been an early adopter at J Merritt, J-M-E-R-I-T-T. -T. Welcome, Jamie, to Disrupt TV. I couldn't get Vala, so <laughs> Jay Merritt is pretty cool. Thank you for me. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. But I mean, we really should talk about your career journey, how you got here, how you got the Barrett, more importantly, and really about products, I mean, the passion for products, the passion for customer experience. Uh, what what drove you there? And uh, let's yeah, let's start with that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess I would start out with I'm like a proper geek. Um, you can't see everywhere I am, but I'm like surrounded by wires, <laughs> like which is where I feel most comfortable. I think that's really, you know, it's a, it's a good uh, comfortable. We're all geeks, Jamie. We're all geeks. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's important, right? So I did start out um, the, the path that many of us start out, um, engineering, computer science, electrical engineering, though I still don't quite get circuits. I have a degree in it. Um, <laughs> me too, but me too. I, yeah. No one ever gets circuits. I'm a plumber. I mean, 
I know, I know, and it, it's it should come so naturally. But, <laughs> uh, but software, I've always I've always lived and breathed software. It always kind of made sense to me from when I was very very young, and I started kind of coding in like basic. I'm old, so you know the what what was what was in those days. Let's not even talk about it. At least I'm not talking about punch. Trap and logo. <laughs> oh, logo, please, logo. I could do I could uh, do amazing things with logo. So anyway, obviously, I started as a geek. Um, I remain a geek. Uh, you know, I do a lot of geeky things. Um, but you know, it, it's funny. I always say to my my team and and, and my friends that no matter what company I join, no matter what job I take, I always end up running product because at the end of the day, that really is um, what drives me, what motivates me. So it's I love technology, but technology has a purpose, and it's to really drive customer value. Um, you know, it's, it can do a million things, but what what I really appreciate is that technology can be used to, to help our customers get um, to make their customers happy, uh, to drive value for them, to help them make money, to help them make their customers more loyal, um, etc. So it's you know technology without that context just doesn't do it for me anymore, I guess is the way I would say it. So I've had you know, these different roles throughout my career, technology, business, technology, business. And you know, I got to see a little bit of everything around a software organization, which is, um, I, I really value that because I got to see all walks of life and, and uh, I got to choose my path. And, and when I choose my path, I always choose uh, you know, running product, leading uh, technology strategy, leading product strategy, and, and trying to connect what I'm building to what my customers need and how they get done. That's awesome. Well, I'm older than you, but as a double E, I remember Fortran and assembly oh, yeah. language and programming DSP chips and C language and so on and so forth. I remember the EEPROMs. I mean, it was, yeah, like, yeah. It was oh, God. programming those VLSIs. I mean, it was just, I we still don't get it, but I spent it. They called it a nerd kit. Which yeah, right, like right, all right. red boards across it. We yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, all these virtual stuff. It's a it, it, Right, exactly. So that's where you and I started. And yeah. but now you're working with AI on automation engines called DaVinci, Verint DaVinci. So tie right. off the cool swing of spectrum into a white hot space. A technology that will impact every business industry and perhaps the most important technology of the 21st century, AI. Tell us about this Verin Da Vinci. What is, what is it? What does it do? And it's got a great name. And but tell us uh, about the product. So yeah, I mean Verin Da Vinci is. It's almost, you know, it's more than a product. It's kind of uh, a moniker for our AI program, right? Sure. It, it, it's so. So Da Vinci uh, is is you know is our AI analytics capability. I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack because I find when um, when geeks like me talk about AI, everyone <laughs> focuses on like frameworks and new algorithms and and neural networks because those sound so cool and they they are really cool. But it, it, it's, you know, there's sort of fundamentals around AI that I think are really important and we don't, as an industry, spend enough time talking about it. Everything starts with data, okay? So, so having that unique data asset, like we have 25 years of customer engagement data, you know, 10 billion interactions a year flow through Verint technology. You know, so I talk to a lot of startups. I talk to a lot of everyone in the industry. And it's like everyone talks about algorithms, but the biggest problem is getting sufficient data that, you know, that has the right variability, that has the right speed, that has, you know, the, you know, um, real world data helps drive real world AI. 
and and da Vinci is about collecting, amassing, and developing AI engines that work on that unique data asset we have at Verant, those 25 years of customer engagement data that my customers were generous enough to share with us. As we deliver all of our applications from our cloud platform, that data is now really flowing into the same place. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that network effect is, is, is accelerating our AI. So da Vinci is a yeah, it's great, cool name. You know, get a little icon or something, you know, but it, it's the, the, the whole theory behind it is we have a unique data asset. We build incredible AI engines that stay market leading and stay the most accurate because of this continuous flow of new data and continuously testing it to make sure it's still better. It's still there. And then when data changes, because lots of things happen, like the market today versus the market a month ago, real, real different, right? So, so your algorithms are going to work differently based on new data. And, and it, it's really that virtuous cycle of bringing data together, creating great AI. And we do lots of things in AI. I mean, I embed DaVinci in our cloud platform mm -hmm. and I deliver it through all of our applications. So, you know, I have 40 different applications, but they can all share and use that same great AI technology. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that's really important is when we take data to decisions, we have to bring analytics, automation, and AI together, right? And a lot of organizations are trying to do that. You guys are sitting on a trove of customer information and insights, right? And, and that's just one aspect of what information is uh, that's important. You guys recently surveyed 2,700 global business leaders worldwide about customer engagement. Imagine taking that information in terms of what people were talking about Carry it back to your data. It's an amazing data set. Let's start with the 2,700 global business leaders worldwide talking about customer engagement. Uh, what did you learn about that? What was happening here? And what is this thing called engagement capacity gap? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's I'm sure I'll use an acronym, right? I'll call it the ECG because I, I have to speak in letters. That's kind of my <laughs> way. Right? And you guys get that. Um, but 2,700, you know, customer engagement, uh, I, you know, whenever I describe what does Baron do, what do we do across these 40 applications we deliver from our cloud platform, they are all focused on enabling better customer engagement for our customers with their customers. So helping employees and increasingly bots and, and whatever you want to consider an employee engage with their customers. They're usually large scale B2C uh, oriented enterprises. They're global. So we research, you know, a ton of research, people around the world. And we're asking them what's driving evolution of their customer engagement approach. You know, it used to be, <laughs> I'd say a lot simpler. Um, it was a lot more frustrating also, but when you'd go, you'd call, you'd wait on hold for hours. You know, they-, um, they Pound zero, pound zero, pound zero. Pound zero, I know, agent, you scream agent at the thing over and over again. Agent, you know, agent, or, agent. Exactly, exactly. So it's, you know, you've we've all had those great customer uh, service experiences. Um, but customer engagement is, is changing dramatically, right? The, um, uh, you know, the advent of digital, the, 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 the acceleration of digital, um, the way people are communicating, not only in a self-service manner, but, you know, when I call my airline of choice, um, you know, they give me the immediate option to transfer from the IVR into like conversational messaging, social messaging. So I immediately go to Apple business messaging and then I'm, it's so much easier for me to interact I'm running around an airport anyway, so doing it on the phone or doing it in a web browser with chat is ridiculous. So it's, you know, the way I want to engage with organizations is changing, largely driven by digital. Um, my workforce is changing pretty dramatically. Um, it's not just millennials, you know, we've been blaming millennials for everything for, for quite a while at this point, you know, but they, 
you know, the, the new, um, your new employees and, and your, 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 your growing employee base um, have different expectations from applications. They expect good experiences. Um, they've moved home in the last two years pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. Um, and you have this new workforce of humans and bots that you're trying to get your hands around because, you know, I have so much self-service stuff going on over here. Um, but sometimes it ends up here and I need to make sure I still know that uh, customer. Um, and then finally, you have customer experience where it's another thing where, you know, instead of leaving them on hold for two or three hours, we woke up about a decade ago and said we should actually make them enjoy talking to us and realize that, I mean, it's it makes all sense. It's, you know, product differentiation used to be what we focused on 20 years ago. And, and, and then we realized most of the products aren't that differentiated in the consumer space, right? It's my bank account, my bank account. And loyalty is bred by great customer experiences. It's the only thing that drives me towards loyalty. That's why I choose that airline. That's why I choose that hotel group. It's because I like their customer experience and they know who I am regardless of how I'm contacting them. So all of these different market forces uh, digital, the changing workforce, and, and uh, obviously the, the importance of customer experience have really created this thing we call the engagement capacity gap. I have, I have basically flat to down resources and budget. So I have the same amount of people, but there's higher number of interactions across a wide diversity of channels. There's increased customer expectation around what a good engagement looks like. And my workforce has shifted dramatically moved home, half of them quit, you know, it, it, it's there's this, all of these dynamics create this gap between what I was able to deliver with my employees and where we are today and what the demands of modern engagement are. Um, I could talk forever about this. I could keep going, but, but uh, I'll pause for a moment. But in all cases, my products are about closing the engagement capacity gap and letting you do more with your existing budget, your existing employees, your existing resources, and using AI and automation to make them into super people. And it's it's uh, it's a must-have capability if you're going to compete in today's more and more decentralized, more and more digital-first, hyper-sharing, knowledge-sharing economy. We just published a report this this week. And for the first time, we reached a milestone of 88% of 17,000 global respondents, business buyers, spoke uh, about the experience is more important than the product or, or service that your Absolutely. company provides. Uh, and that was the highest number. It was 84% two years ago. So nine out of 10. Also on average is 10 channels that a consumer uses on average to engage with a brand. So phone we talked about, but it's social, it's text, it's messaging, it's your mobile app, it's your website, it's your customer portal, it's so on and so forth. So speed, personalization, and intelligence is what you talked about as, as three important currencies in, in today's economy. Are all of these technologies, uh, in terms of addressing the, the, the ECG, uh, meant to just build your company's anticipatory muscle so you can anticipate as quickly as possible with the right context how can I be relevant? What type of val what value can I provide in real time at this moment of truth in order for my stakeholder, customer, partner, employee, community to be happy with your company variant? Uh, is, is this all about just building your ability to anticipate? Let me, let me think about that for a moment, because is, is it... Um, it's not only anticipate, but I think that's, you know, it's understanding all of the different engagements that are going be uh, going on 
across my vast estate. Like I have, you know, retail stores in some cases, though those are going away in, in, in many cases as well. But I have on-site location, I have bank branches, I have um, everyone who's on my website clicking around doing stuff. I have people engaging with chatbots. I, you know, to your point, there's this tremendous volume of engagement, way more than it's ever been. And, and you're always looking for opportunities and risk, right? So, so going back to your question around, is it about anticipating? Um, yes, it's about identifying different patterns of behavior that both lead to either opportunities and risk and trying to capitalize on those opportunities and risks before that window closes, right? So yeah. if I had to describe you know, AI in, in the most generic sense, you know, that's this massive volume of data and making decisions faster, you know, processing it fast enough to make a decision in real time yeah. that no human could ever, you know, come up with the data in the head. That's true. It's, it's, it's true. Really we are of, scaling the sense and response capability of an organization exactly. in, in a world that's more omnichannel. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Rick. And, and we are working, moving in a world that we call decision velocity, right? I mean, that, that ability to actually make those decisions at speed, at machine scale, uh, it's really changing. Um, we only got a few seconds left, or actually a few minutes left. I don't um, so let's much. talk I'm about. Sorry. No, 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 no. You've dropped lots of nuggets of wisdom. No, but, no yeah. <laughs> we're, we're looking at what role does AI-driven technology, like chatbots, IVAs, is it helping to close the gap, or is it making it worse? And when will my chatbot interact with your chatbot? So. All right. So this is this is actually these are great questions. Okay. So let me start with a few, but I'll be I'll be quick in the, in the interest of time. Um, so yes, the whole closing the ECG is taking those budget and resources and as I said, turning them into super people, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the only way to do that is to kind of extend their reach using AI and automation um, or to make it not even get to employees and to handle them entirely in your, in your robot workforce, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that, um, that seamless connection between a self-service experience and, and a human experience, not even necessarily knowing the difference between them, or there's so much context that flows between them that you can't tell the difference is where everyone's going. So you wanna give that, you know, the, the two ways in which you close the ECG, either taking your employees and making them super employees or leveraging this new workforce of bots to create a new pool of employees that can do more um, and, and do it 24 hours a day and do it without pay and sleep. Um, still costs a lot of money to do them, but you know, it, 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 it's uh, that- My bot your bot. <laughs> my bot's gonna outwork your bot. And, and your bot will talk to my bot. At some point, we're not gonna have to do anything. Okay. My bot's taking a mental health day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my bot's taking a mental health day. So. Exactly. Yeah, but your bot can talk to my bot on the show and you can go out with the family or something, right? So for, last for, the last, for the last couple of years, Jamie, uh, Ray's been trying to replace me with a bot. But <laughs> That's you know, and, and I think I, I, my runway is getting smaller and smaller. So it'll be Disrupt TV with Ray and Da Vinci Wong. Uh, 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 my, 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 my final... My, my final, uh, you know, qu question to you, um, you know, as a, someone who's leading product strategy, and uh, as we affectionately call ourselves geeks, we tend to want to uh, anticipate the future and what this means. Um, what do you mean? What do you anticipate would be the business impact of closing the gap? Like, if the gap is measured by some integer or percentage value, however we quantify the gap. Uh, 
what, what can we tell businesses in terms of the return on investments mm -hmm. in terms of your platform, your technology, where if you reduce the, the gap by this much, you can expect uh, better EBITDA, larger revenue, greater uh, loyalty and CSAT and, and net promoter score and so on and so forth. That, well, all of those are really good measures. And, and you know, the, as every geek, the, the answer is always it depends, right? Yes, um, yes. But it is based on what you measure. Here's what I would say is your goal is unwavering customer loyalty and, and a very high, very strong employee retention for your top talent. And the rest of it comes. Okay. Yeah. If you have unwavering customer loyalty, your EBITDA, yeah. your revenue, everything happens for the right way. If you keep your best employees, they deliver the best engagement with customers. And, you know, so if you focus on experience and you focus on closing the gap and making the best experience, everything else you measure is going to go way up or way down, depending on what you're going for. Well said. Absolutely, 100% wow. agree. <laughs> no, those are great points. Those are great points. Hey, before you go, I want to ask you, what's going to happen next with AI analytics and CX? And, and the reason I put those together in, in that order is because, you know, are, are we get really get to that mass personalization at scale we all dreamed of? Or is that still pie in the sky? I mean, everybody talks about they have it. Everybody talks about they have 300, like, I have 720 degrees of customer experience and visibility. I mean, like, where is this going? Like, will we get there? Or is it just not enough data, not enough interactions? Like, what, what's causing that? So, so we will get there. We will get there. I, I'm, I'm highly confident that, that the industry gets there, that you get more predictive. But it's, it's not magic. Right? There's no magic here. It's it's really amassing enough data, making better and better predictions, and continuously improving those things. Um, it's just math, okay? So it really does work, and it'll just happen. Um, but what I will say, and when I think about what's coming next, and what not what keeps me up at night, but what I think a lot about is ethical AI and privacy and oh, regulation. Yeah. Okay, because, you know, I talked about how all these customers share their data with us and they do and they agree to share their data with us. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, there's a line somewhere that's kind of murky between surveillance and customer value, right? And, 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 and being able to provide AI that helps you drive decisions, but does so in a way that is unbiased, um, that um, allows you to comply with regulation, depending on where you are. That's actually a lot of the weight of, of, of what we have to sort out and figure out in the future. It's easy for me to see the future of I can make really good decisions, but sometimes they feel spooky. And that's the, you know, that, that's the, you know, when, when Target knows what you're buying or when you say something and then you get an ad on Amazon, like that feels spooky. So I'm highly confident in the technology and the math there to let us make better and better predictions. But as regulation shifts, as, you know, we, we, we go far ahead of regulation and ethics and, and they catch up. So I think that's really the how do you balance ethics, lack of bias and privacy with our, our need to make better and better predictions without people feeling like the spooky. The final word from Jamie Merritt, Chief Product Officer at Barrett. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, I will see you soon. You're having a conference. When is the conference? When's the event? We're having June. a conference in Orlando, June 13th through 16th. Oh, All right. We'll see you there. Thanks so much for being here. Happy Friday. Thank you, Jamie. I had a Thank great you. time. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. He's doing important work um, and uh, leading edge work. 
Okay, speaking of important work, leading edge work, our next guest is Ari Coyote, is founder and managing partner of Mindful Venture Capital. It focuses on investments in early stage technology companies across infrastructure, healthcare, and financial services. Previously, Ari was principal at Silicon Valley Data Capital, where she invested in enterprise AI, something we were just talking about. Prior, Ari was director at RBC Capital Markets. Ari is a researcher at Stanford Behavior Design Lab, focusing on habit formation, behavior sequences, and consensual and mindful technology designed to facilitate sustainable behavior change at scale. In March of this year, Ari was one of 16 people selected around the globe by the World Summit on the Information Society, WSIS, uh, for the inaugural cohort uh, of WSIS gender setters who act as trailblazers and take action in gender equality and initiatives to advance digital gender inclusion. You can follow Ari on Twitter at A-R-I-Q-A-Y-U-M-I. Welcome, Ari, to Disrupt TV. Hey, Ari, welcome. So, oh, I think we've frozen up. Um, so let's see, let's wait for Ari to get off mute and welcome to the show. So we'll get you on. Um, you know, and one of the interesting things about Ari is uh, she's been working uh, when she was at Stanford, working with the legendary BJ Fogg. And so working on behavioral design. So um, I think we're frozen here on the access. So, but, but it's uh, a lot of the you know, behavioral design concepts are things that we've been seeing in terms of markets. Um, and so I thought that was kind of very interesting when we brought her on the show and we're bringing in. Um, I think we're still um, in frozen mode. So hopefully we can uh, do something like to get to, her back I like on. To, I like to rock behind Ari's on the wall. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, we definitely have some great rugs uh, out there. Um, <laughs> let's see if we can bring her back in and, uh, yeah, get her on to um, hi, the show. But <laughs> hi, Ari. So. Uh, you might be on see. mute. <laughs> You're on mute. Let's get you unfrozen and mute. Um, so bottom left should be control panel, and you can unmute, and hopefully you can see that and uh, pull that. Um, Hello. There you go. Welcome. Yeah. We're good. Ari, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah you're good. You. Yeah, you're good. Okay, so you can so hear me now. Is a little bit frozen, yes. but we can hear you. So keep talking. Okay, I and, think uh, that my yeah, computer is with... freaking out or something. Yeah. <laughs> no it problem. happens often well, to, to, to me totally and fine. myself. Sorry, yeah, guys. Okay, so are we good? Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Okay. I can yeah, hear everything that you're saying. No, not okay, sure. great. Well, sorry, I had to shorten your bio because we only have 20 minutes and you've done a lot. So <laughs> thank you okay. for being on the show. Yeah, welcome to the show. One of the things that we're talking about is, you know, we've been looking for, um, you know, new investments, uh, how it makes a unicorn, why it's so important. And you've got a model to do this or you've got an approach. How do you, how do you look at this space, right? You're making these investments. You've been looking at this over a period of time and you're trying to figure out which tech companies are going to be successful, which investments are going to be yeah. successful. And so how do you manage to identify um, unicorns? And you've identified a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just want to make sure, though, that you guys can hear me because on my end, it looks like I'm fine. And then suddenly I'll hear all of you guys out of nowhere. Okay, great. So I'm just going to keep going. I think it's something weird on my end. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is rooted in how we start to look at a company, right? A lot of people are really focused on um, just the financials, but the financials don't really work at the early stage because at the early stage, um, especially in venture, what mostly matters is that you're going after a massive market, 
right? The number one reason that venture capitalists pass on companies is that they're just simply, you know, the market's not going to be large enough. And so if you really want to have a company that's going to be um, funded by venture capital, you have to make sure that you're targeting a behavioral problem in the world. It's something that's not only a problem right now, next year, three years from now, it's something that's going to continuously roll, become a bigger problem. And then your company has to continue to grow and scale with that. So what we look at is it's really around, um, is this not only a problem for, uh, you know, for like, I would say actually, you know, your, your population of um, like, I'd say 20 to 40 years old or so, right? It's like, you want to look at, okay, it's going to be a problem for them from 20 to 40. And then when these people are around 50, that's when you maybe start to have a trail off. So you want to make sure whatever your target market is, we're looking at the 20 to 30 year horizon beyond that. Can you already talk to us about your current research and, and your current thesis as you look at these companies that you look at the potential investing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things I've been looking at a lot is, is you know, I, I do artificial intelligence, of course. I actually house artificial intelligence within human-computer interaction. So a lot of people, when I say that I do human-computer interaction, they think, oh, okay, so you're doing the front end design and, you know, you're kind of just going and talking to users all the time. It's like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you have to understand what your users are doing. But beyond that, you have to understand what is intelligence, right? In order to do artificial intelligence, which is then part of the computer system, uh, you have to understand what is intelligence. So you have to actually understand how humans learn. And what I've been finding in that that line of research is that I don't I don't know if we're really going to be you know, at this artificial, we can call it artificial intelligence, but I want us to move more towards something called mindful intelligence, mm -hmm. right? And so when you think about artificial, it means superficial, it means fake, right? Mm -hmm. And you can, you can go into artificial general and et cetera, and we can, you know, go into other definitions as well. But at the end of the day, the word intelligence is still there. And so what is intelligence? I define it as um, intelligence is the ability for an agent to achieve goals across a wide range of environments. Now, when you link that word to artificial, it's just superficial. Hey, an agent can go and achieve things. Yay, great. But I don't want that, right? I don't want the superficial ability to go and achieve things across different environments. I would want the awareness, right? To be aware of my environment, to be able to act on something in the moment. Um, you know, maybe I have an understanding of markets prior to walking out in the world or walking out and being in the market. But then the market, you know, things happen and I want to be able to respond immediately and be prepared, Right. And so to do that, the intelligence models, and so this is, it's kind of meta a little bit where it's like, we're talking about humans here and I'm, I'm also talking about the artificial intelligence side. The way that we design our intelligence models needs to change. We need to be actually taking a normative stance and a normative approach to how we believe, um, you know, people sh should be responding or our programs should be responding to whatever we are selecting in the market as a means to create this world we want to live in. And so right now, the, the thesis is really, yeah, the thesis is really the intelligent automation is exponentiating the enterprise. And mm -hmm. as we are automating away this intelligence, we have to decide what intelligence we want to automate away and which other parts we want to expand on, which other parts we want to double down on. That makes a lot of sense. So as we develop this approach of autonomy and automation and cognitive download from a person to an algorithm or piece of software, be mindful of, for example, is this creative work uh, that's being uh, migrated? Is this repetitive, mundane work? Um, what are the biases that go into it? I guess ultimately, do the models just are today anemic of context 
it seems like to have yeah. mindful intelligence, you also you need contextual intelligence to be able to look at different dimensions at the same time in order to demonstrate some level of you know alignment to your core values and guiding principles. It seems like very difficult to do, which that's why you yeah yeah <laughs> that's why we need smart people like you to help us figure all this out. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and when you look at that, right, how do you apply that to investing companies? You probably have a thesis, right? Everybody has a different thesis, you know, different, you know, uh, investment, you know, investment models are out there. How do you, how do you do that? How do you solve these hard problems? How, what kind of, you know, tools are you looking at, right? And how, how, what kind of like thesis is important, you know, in terms of your, uh, in terms of the venture? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about how, okay, here's how it would relate to the values and whatever. We actually think about it as, okay, how does this relate to the proof of concept or the experiment? And then how does that experiment relate to the business line and the budget line, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, my experiments are not going to be relevant if they're not creating wealth and or saving more of a, a cost to the system, right? What I want to do in the, in the, you know, the thesis of the firm, right, is like, we want to make sure that, that any kind of effort that we're putting out, we're getting more reward as a result of it, because that is true innovation is when we put in the same amount of work and we're getting more of a product from it. Right. Um, so a lot of what we do is we're, we'll be, you know, working, whether that's in the lab or, you know, or when I'm working with founders, it, it kind of actually translates directly is I'm working with them to solve the problem and define the problem. Most people define the wrong problem. Right. And so then by looking at, okay, here's the, here's the current problem you're solving. Here is what everyone else has uh, previously said. Okay, this is what we want to do to solve it. Where are the gaps in that? Then we price it looking at here is, you know, what uh, different units are willing to pay for it. Uh, and then what we, the part where it's really important, most people miss this step is again, you have to look at not just right now, but what do the business units want to, uh, you know, want to price this over time. And this is where the, um, the NLP comes in actually quite drastically is that people refer to different business units and business, business lines of funding with very different words. So I could walk into a meeting and say, hey, you know what? I'm an artificial intelligence company doing X, Y, Z. But this company refers to artificial intelligence as human resources. So the fact that I used AI means that I'm not going to get funded. But if I had just said that I am a human resources solution, I actually would have been funded. So, you know, by applying, um, I guess I would say NLP, we are able to more easily map how people are representing their world to, you know, how we present our world to them. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question about, uh, because, because you are a WSIS uh, uh, gender trendsetter, uh, can you achieve mindful intelligence if you don't have equality as a core value for your business? If it's a bunch of bunch of white guys sitting in a room writing algorithms, are you going to be able to create a solution that's going to be mindful uh, and, and achieve desired outcomes? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked the question so I didn't have to bring it up. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think something that is uh, unique, and this is where I'm saying I really do think that a normative stance on this, it's not about where just where technology is going, like the wave is happening, no matter what we want. Um, I think, you know, mindful computing, and we can get to that in another session, but I think we're going there no matter what, but we need to go in that direction with the kind of intelligence, you know, that we, we want to take with it. And, um, you know, when we have in the boardroom or in the, you know, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, the trading desk when we're defining our algorithms, if we only have the, 
you know, cog the collective cognitive power of a certain body of people where their experiences or their knowledge has been assumed of certain, you know, engagements in the world that's limiting what the potential is for what that market can realize. And so by including, you know, by actually having this gender equality, we're able to, um, from my view, uh, and also from what the data is showing right now with some of our current results, as well as other, we do synthetic projections, et cetera, Monte Carlo, yeah, whatever, the whole shebang. Um, we're actually able to see that the market size is beyond doubled when you take this approach, wow. right? So when you have more cognitive diverse thought in the boardroom, you're able to tap into way more markets than you ever thought possible, right? So your market potential goes out the wazoo and that's exactly what we're doing. And that's kind of an edge we hope to, you know, continue to lead. That's awesome. You know, that's very interesting. Now, you've done a lot of research in behavioral design. How does this tie back to behavioral design? And can you build a model for investing around behavioral design? Yeah, right. Okay. So this is kind of where the breakthrough comes in of everyone's a little confused on that stuff. So, so we actually have behavioral design and we also have behavior design. Okay. So behavioral design is definitely something I do. But what that is, is that's more around the, you know, kind of the psychology side. You could think of maybe some of Dan Ariely's stuff, yada, yada, right? And they'll, they'll use the words behavior design, but there's a different kind of behavior design that we use at our lab. And this is specific to BJ Fogg, right? So behavior design is really how to think about behavior, how to understand it clearly, but also how to design solutions for it, okay? And it's actually, how I think of it is it's the, it's the productization of behavior, uh, or a behavioral design. Okay, so behavioral design, I think of more as like a PhD student and they're testing solutions, they're recommending stuff to, um, you know, like Maytag about what to do with their, their fridges. But behavior design is more around how do we actually productize, productize that in the moment? And we're using different methods of behavior design so that when these people are going and interacting with the fridge, we know what they're doing, right? We know in the moment. So it's kind of like dynamic behavioral economics a little bit. Um, and you'd have to have BJ on the show. But yes, there's totally a way to model this because we can look at early stage companies as they're operating. We can look at their operating metrics as it's happening. And we're able to then project out, okay, here's what you think you're going to be doing when you take this, you know, tiny step in this direction or this baby step in this direction. When you, you know, start to assume this tiny habit, here's what happens, you know, 10 years out. So we were able to look at a root cause analysis and project it out synthetically. And as a result, we're able to see what's going to happen to the market. And Ari, my final question, as you make these models and projections and work with, uh, uh, you know, um, big players in various industries, what shifts are you seeing in terms of business models um, as a result yeah. of, of your research? Yeah, so I think the biggest one I was seeing was actually uh, originally in healthcare. Um, I have a very strong fintech background. So people are wondering, why are you shifting so much to healthcare? Well, because that's where a lot of people are going. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of models where companies are wanting to sell to these large enterprises. You could think of it as an Apple or a Google, and they're wanting to sell to them um, as a means to provide some kind of service actually to their employees, such that then they're improving the health of the employees because they're seeing that, okay, if my employee is dropping out of work these many days a year, I'm actually, you know, I'm not really getting the full worth of whatever our, you know, our agreement is. Um, and then in fintech too, I would say the shift is, um, I would say you have a lot of people that are solving problems in the next two to three years. And beyond that, the companies that are actually winning are the ones that are, again, I'm not kidding, they're, they're looking out at the five to 10 year 
vision, right? So the computing, I, I think a company I, I, I'm fond of is, and we're not invested in it, but it's called Mighty. And the way that they're looking at computation and solving these problems, it goes beyond just this, you know, pump and dump of where we're at right now in society. It's looking at how do we actually add value and, you know, look at what do people want right now, which is obviously we, we even are communicating over, you know, over the internet, having conversation. How do we make that more efficient so that more people can do it more effectively and have access to it at scale? And that's a real problem. So I think companies who continue to focus on that, what behaviors are we wanting to do and then design a technolo technological solution or, you know, if there's a breakthrough in technology, apply it to this. That's really, that's really what we're seeing still. With a long-term outlook. 100%. I mean, principles always hold true. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's great. We are here with Ari Kayumi, um, founder and managing director at Mindful Venture Capital. You can follow on Twitter at Ari Kayumi. Are you speaking anywhere soon? Are you going to be out there? Um, yes. Yeah, so will you be at I'm any other events coming Davos. up? <laughs> yeah, I'll be in Davos uh, next week. And then uh, we will also be at WISIS, uh, I think, the following week after that. So that will be in uh, Switzerland. Very, very cool. Hey, thank you for being on the show. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank bye, you, you too. Thank you. We need, wow. uh, you, you and I need mindful intelligence algorithms to help us with our crypto investment investing strategy. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. Hey, I, we both have a long-term view. So anyway, uh, Ray, uh, first of all, what an incredible start to the show where we spoke to, you know, two folks that are full of uh, grit and grind, obviously, uh, you know, Rhonda and, and Alex and Navy SEAL talking about the importance of um, having discipline, but also committing to a cause, an important cause, and that's better in health. And then uh, the, the future of data analysis and use of AI and chatbots and virtual assistants and how you can reduce that engagement gap. And of course, uh, you know, a whole new realm of studying the power of adding context to meaningful intelligence. Your, your thoughts on, on the show, Ray? <laughs> you know, we had a lot of high performers on the show, and I think that's really what made this very interesting. We had people that are looking at, you know, how to actually build high-performing teams. Um, and, and I think you know, what we learned about high-performing teams, it's really about not just getting the right people in, but it's about getting the right mission and purpose in place. And then, of course, you know, when we think about what's happening in the world of automation and analytics and AI, we're definitely seeing like a big shift in terms of, you know, how we're thinking about this or can we do it in an ethical way and when we touched on that and ended that ethical mission right i mean here we've got we're seeing a progression in terms of uh how we're going to be looking at the markets going forward so i think uh it's definitely very exciting but what about you what do you think uh what did you think Paul? Yeah, again, uh, all three, all four, uh, um, and I don't know if Monty was listening, but, you know, if Monty could have joined us, you know, we have, you know, five extraordinary, uh, not only, not only physically, but mentally fit, uh, big brains on the show. So we covered a lot, uh, and, uh, that was an extraordinary episode. Next episode is episode 280. So Ray, we're going to have our 280th episode. My goodness, uh, Steve Lucas, CEO of ICIMS, uh, and, uh, talent cloud company, Ray Hines, CEO and founder of Propel, they're doing extraordinary work, and a surprise uh, guest that will announce midweek uh, next week. So tune in for episode 280 
and uh, I think we just crossed 850. I'm sorry, 860 interviews. 860, yeah. 860. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching, and we'll uh, speak to you next week. Bye, everyone. Take care, everybody. Cheers.